We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 454 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Rafa Aldamui, and today we are talking exclusively about the Barcelona handball team, who are currently leading the league table with 23 wins, no draws, no losses. Their 46 points is already 14 points up on second place, Granolas, and 16 points over REBI Balanoma, or Balanmano, I should say, Cuenca in third. I, Rafa, that is pretty good, and, and I look forward to really getting into it, unless there was some other big game that I definitely don't want to talk about that also may have taken place yesterday. Nah, I'm just here. Like The only thing I care about is uh, el equipo de balonmano del Fútbol Club Barcelona. Yeah. Barcelona's handball team, that's the only thing I care about. Um, nothing that happens like that on that uh, inside that uh, like soccer stadium is not something that I would like to talk about. But I think we do have to talk about it. And like I said to you earlier, I I got some thoughts. I don't know if people will agree with me, but uh, ah, I got some thoughts, Dan. Okay, of course, we're talking about the 4 nothing loss in El Clasico <laughs> at the Spotify Camp No. Uh, if Barca had won, I would just call it the Camp No. But because they lost, I'm going to call it the Spotify Camp No. <laughs> Yeah, so let's get right into it. Uh, not even, not say grazing over the first half, the first 45 minutes. The only thing I guess to kind of go on the 45 minutes, the uh, first 45, I should say, is that Barcelona were definitely on the front foot, failed to take their chance in the first 45. And I was frustrated by, at the end of the match, how one of the narratives became that Barcelona were always outclassed in that whole game from the first 45 on, and then it didn't matter. It's one of those things where... I get frustrated because if Barcelona take their chances because they were on the front foot, because they were going for it, if Barca do get a goal or get two goals and are up the one nothing that maybe you could say they deserved based on the way they were controlling the game, because I did. I thought they were controlling the game. And just because everything gets flipped on its head and we're going to be able to talk for however long this podcast goes about the absolute shambolic collapse in the second half, it negates the fact that the first half happened in the way that it did, which is that Barcelona were on the front foot. So aside from, I think, that one little piece or narrative about the first 45 minutes, you know, I think we can pretty quickly move past it, other than saying that in that first 45 minutes, the style or the the game plan and the way that those two coaches were kind of staring at each other and trying to figure each other out 
was was taking place was was in it was in effect. So it's one of those two things too about revisionist history where oh well what if you had started a third forward onto a Ferran Torres? No, like the eleven that Xavi went with is the eleven that he should have gone with. And one of the major themes too from the five headlines I had, and I really want to delve in here with you, is where Xavi got it wrong and where players made mistakes. Because I am so much more in the latter camp of where players made mistakes than trying to question, again, A, I would have been the same starting 11 I think so many of us would have picked. It would have been the same kind of strategy, which would be if you see Rodrigo in the starting lineup for Real Madrid, you try to get Balde not only up in behind him in that 3-2-5 possession formation, but by getting Balde so high, that pins Rodrigo back. And therefore, you don't have to worry about those counterattacks if you've got all that possession up in their third of the field. Now, unfortunately, as we know in the second half, things kind of became undone, and we'll talk about that. But again, I chalk those up to more player mistakes that I can talk about breaking down those goals and breaking down the counterattacks. Then I could even say that, I mean, if Xavi's, again, if his game plan works in that 3-2-5 that has won plenty of games this season, and it won El Clasico last time out, not even the one nothing, the one in the Liga, and it went out, similar formation, similar strategy, and it smacked Real Madrid. The only, the only difference here was that Rodrigo was out wide, and I, I think Balde certainly was one of the better players in the game and serviceable to kind of handle what that situation was. I mean, another than having Christensen healthy, which I'm giving you it all here because they're the injuries to talk about later. So please don't do that. I'm just saying if you had Christensen on the left side, I don't know what kind of conversation we're having. So, yeah, I, that's where I land on that, that the first 45 minutes and the game plan that Xavi put out, I am not going crazy to question that. My All my questions for Xavi, for the team, for everybody, for Kool-Aid, how are they going to sleep at night? Those all pop up from minute 45 plus two <laughs> into halftime and into the second half. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a game of two halves. Barcelona were by far, by far, let me repeat myself, by far the better team in the first half. And if we would have been more clinical, that first half should have ended 2-0, 3-0 to Barcelona. And probably the tie is over, and we're going through to the Copa del Rey final. But sadly, it doesn't. It didn't pan out like that. And there's a saying in Spanish like "goles que no haces, goles que te hacen." Like the goals that you don't score are goals that you then end up conceding. And more often than not, that ends up being true. Barcelona dominated the first half, had a lot of chances to take the initial lead and create a, a bigger gap in the aggregate score. We didn't, and then in a single counterattack, they scored right before the end of the first half, which we know they're completely capable of creating a great counterattack. And in the second half, yeah, they were better, and the half that they were better than us, they did what we couldn't do in the half that we were better than them. They were clinical, they took their chances, and that's why they won 0-4. That's it. And then it comes down to let's I know like I I don't know if you want like I you want to talk about see like the, all the injuries but at the end of the day to me that's what it came down to their they had their quality players available and we did for the most part we didn't especially from the midfield upward. So it is what it is. I think we have we do have to take that into account when we're analyzing this game. Basically, the whole tie and basically, the, the all, for the most part, all important games throughout the entire season 
Barcelona, sadly, have had either a bunch of injuries on defense or a bunch of injuries in the midfield or a bunch of injuries uh, 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 with the forward line. And we do have to take that into account because at the end of the day, that, to me, it's not that I didn't want Barcelona to lose and not go to the final and get trashed by Madrid at the camp. No, of course I didn't want that. But if we're trying to look at the glass half full, this is a reminder that maybe because we had Real Madrid's, like the upper hand on Madrid since the Spanish Super Cup, maybe like the board, even Barca fans were kind of in a little bit of an illusion that this team as a whole, talking about the bench, was good enough to compete for everything, meaning the likes of Marcos Alonso, Eric Garcia, Jordi Alba, Sergi Roberto, Kessi. And now this was sadly a, sla a slap in the face of, hey, we do have a good team. We do have a really good starting 11. We may have some really good 12, 13, maybe if I'm stretching it, 14th, like a 14th player. But we don't have the quality in depth to compete in La Liga, Copa del Rey, Super Cup, Champions League, and so on. So this was a reminder that, sadly, the players that had to play to yesterday that wouldn't have played if Pedri was healthy, if Dembele was healthy, if Christensen was healthy, if Frankie was healthy, we saw the players that had to play for them were, for the most part, the ones that, in some way, shape, or form, ended up either not performing or like committing really bad errors that you would think the starters wouldn't have committed. And 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 we gotta take that into account. Like I said, we got like we gotta analyze this with a how how do you say that in English? Like with a cold mindset. We can't be like, oh my god, everything sucks, everything is trash, shall we mm -hmm. out? This and that. Like, we got to take in the, the context of what happened in this game. So yeah. I know we, we're going to talk a little bit more about injuries. I just wanted, like, to, like... No, I think this is the appropriate time. that in a little bit. No, I think it's the appropriate time because, yeah, we're, we're talking about, you know, I guess we could talk about the what's next or what that means in the summertime or what kind of referendum to have on the, on the squad after a match like this. But certainly, as I'm watching that game, there were moments when you felt the lack of Christensen for Alonso. You felt the lack of De Jong, even though Kessie, I thought, had a pretty good game. You still felt like, okay, De Jong elevates Barcelona in a way that Kessie was kind of just, you know, treading water. And then there was a lack of Pedri for Roberto, which was, we can go at that for a second, because Roberto against Elche, I praised him because he deserved it. And the minute the competition for Real Madrid stepped up, I, I, Roberto was really, really bad yesterday. And then the lack of Dembele with Rafinha, it's the same thing. Like that drop-off from what Dembele provides you to what Rafinha provided yesterday against Kamavinga, who, I mean, arguably at the end of that match, when it became who kind of set the tempo and how that match went, Kamavinga was arguably the man of the match. I know that sounds crazy, but he allowed Real Madrid to completely cancel out one of Barcelona's main ideas. And not just Rafinha, but the overloads on that right side and then those combinations to the left, those quick diagonals, there was a lot less of those in the second half. And Barcelona had to recycle a lot of possession because Kamavinga did not require any help over the top from Militao or Alaba over to Rafinha. And by doing by having that matchup on Barcelona's right wing be in a 1v1 situation that does not bear any fruit, that is going to give the advantage to Real Madrid because, again, numerically, they were attempting to do the same, which was put it 
the numeric overload on the right side and switch it over to Rodrigo. Yes, there were times with Vinny Jr., but you felt like very much like the, the recent matches between those two that they wanted to bring him inside a bit more, you know, get him out of Araujo's pocket. Because, yeah, it wasn't until the start of that second half that, Ara- that Vinny Jr. finally, for once, got the better of Araujo. And then he winds up getting the better even of Araujo plus Kessie when Kessie fi- fouls him for that third goal, which is, which is the PK goal. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So, yeah, I think as far as trying to diagnose the subs and injuries, certainly an issue. And at, at, at this juncture, I think arguably the number you said 13 or 14. And I mean, unfortunately, when I talk about Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, 11, even 10 is arguably the number that I'm saying as far as trustworthy. And there are players in that category and that trustworthy, of course, they make sense that we can criticize and talk about, especially in that second half, not in any way covering themselves in glory, including Lewandowski, including Kunde. So I think we can jump into that now too, because I think if there's one thing, more than any other things that you criticize Xavi for, is that his team conceded in the 50. 50, uh, 45th plus, what was it, two or three at the end of that first half. And he lost halftime. Whatever happened, whatever words were spoken, whatever concepts or motivation, whether, you know, whether it's X and O's or like feelings, <laughs> regardless of which or trying both, he lost that war with Ancelotti and it did not work. Because even at that juncture, it was 1 1. They were at the Spotify camp, no, in front of, I mean, what, 95,000 people. You win that game. You go out and you win that game by doing exactly what you did in that first half. Even though the goal was scored on a counterattack, that first goal, you pick up 
the pieces and you go out and you figure it out because that first goal can be diagnosed pretty easily. I thought there was great buildup leading up to it. Like again, because as you mentioned, that's the point. They did not take their chances and therefore they lost their head on those counterattacks because there was great buildup and it was Barcelona. I, I felt like it was almost our closest chance of the game. Courtois saves Lewandowski and then it's a 3v2 in transition because Marcus Alonso stepped forward when he shouldn't have. He failed to make the tackle. And then it wasn't just him, though. It was a calamity of errors because Kunde, who has not been in the same form since the World Cup, but I still put Kunde in my starting 11 every single time. It was still a price tag that made sense and a purchase that made sense for Barca. But Kunde did not close out the way he was supposed to on Benzema. And therefore, Araujo winds up running over to him, leaving Vinny Jr. wide open at that, well, not even 18, like 15 yards out. And then Benzema combined to make it happen. Vinny Jr. gets credit for the goal. Now, Kunde almost saved it out. But I mean, again, that counter all starts because Alonso takes that step forward. And then it's a 3v2 in transition. Again, it's a mistake by Kunde. It's a mistake by Araujo to commit as hard as he did to Benzema instead of having Kunde slide over and stay on Vinny Jr. And so, it, you know, it just winds up one defender makes a mistake, another defender makes a little mistake, another defender makes a little mistake, and now it's one nothing. So, you know, as I said, Vinny Jr. gets the better of Araujo to start that second half. And, you know, that second goal, I think, is the one that's even more frustrating because that let me know that there were systemic breakdowns in the pressure that Barcelona has. Where I go in that second goal, that's when I said, where's De Young in that space to close down that space and press? Where is Pedri with his tremendous positioning on the press and the work that he does? Because on that second goal, Edder Militao making sure that Lewandowski can't be an outlet. And Lewandowski's hold-up play, as in, you know, the goal scoring is the goal scoring. Great. But his hold-up play against top-level competition has been subpar this year. It's not Lewandowski. I'm not saying Lewandowski has been subpar. I'm saying that Lewandowski's hold-up play against top-level competition has not been as good as it needs to be in this system. And it questions whether or not Lewandowski was that perfect striker for this system. He was definitely the perfect one on the market for the price tag that Bayern Munich wanted Barca to play. But those questions are brought up continually in these big, in these big, big and major games. And they might be for the next two or three seasons with him in tow. But anyway, what happens then is that because Busquets winds up getting caught too far out, again, not even Busquets' fault, but rotations are not working properly. Modric gets between the lines with Roberto on his back and Roberto doesn't want to get the red. So Kunde slips. I mean, again, a calamity of errors and Benzema finds the spot. Slots at home past Ter Stegen. And again, I want to mention it was the first time that Benzema got the best of Kunde in like the last four Classicos. But again, all of that begins when Barcelona's press in their own half. Like they had a throw in in their own half. And it took, I think Valverde was the one who got it off Balde or no, I'm sorry. I'm using that with the third goal. Well, anyway, it's a similar thing. <laughs> third goal, they have a throw in still on Barcelona's left side. So Balde side of the field. And that happens right after Araujo's missed shot. So as again, as you mentioned, Barcelona missed some chances. Araujo has that shot on goal. Yeah, he probably should have had on goal, probably should have scored that goal. But then immediately comes the other way, makes it three nothing. Because again, off a throw in, Valverde takes it right off Balde. Then Kessie fouls Vinny Jr. for the PK and is finished by Benzema. At that point, I didn't even write down how the fourth goal happened. That was also a counterattack. But at that point, I mean, players were jogging. It was, it was done and dusted. It was over. Like, they had given up. And that fourth goal is the one that hurts. Because the fourth goal, I could break down why the other ones happened. And we can talk about how Barcelona's pressure was so good in the first half and then fell off a freaking cliff in the second half. Because, again, they don't have the depth and they don't have players that can physically do what they need to do anymore. I'm not just talking about Busquets. I'm talking about Roberto's positioning. Physically, he can run, 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 like you saw against Elche. But his positioning against top-level competition, if you are 
what is it? A, a foot off Modric. A foot. And that's all it was. And then once he was on his back, it's a wrap. The tie is over. It's 2 nothing because Modric got just underneath with that shoulder of Roberto. That cannot happen at the top level against those top teams. And so you do then begin to have referendums on players like Sergio Roberto. You go, great job against LJ. I'm glad we renewed you to win the Liga. And that's going to be really important. <laughs> we'll do that later. But yes, I'm glad Roberto was in the squad to win the Liga. But if they're going to win Champions League and they're going to continue to try to win every trophy in any competition against top-level competition, they will struggle because of personnel. Whew. I know, I know, I know. I broke down. I'm, gonna, I'm, ready, to, I'm ready to go off because now, like, obviously, I'm going to go with, again, one by one, just like you did with the goals. The first one, it's, it's a perfect example of why Marcos Alonso isn't good enough to play for FC Barcelona, in my opinion. Physically, if you step up and you hesitate and you're you get and you then you're in no man's land because he's slow. He is slow just running in a straight line. He isn't quick. So he to get to Rodrigo, he takes forever. How he obviously mis misread misread that situation. And then right? I mean exactly. So first of all, he doesn't get he mis misreads the situation. Rodrigo gets first to the ball. Second, if he gets by you, now you got to bring him down. He didn't bring him down. That's two errors. Then he tracked back. He's slow as hell. So at least when you got fast players, even though maybe positionally they may not be perfect, at least they're able to track back faster and they're able to molestar, to bother Rodrigo and then Vinicius. Marcos Alonso ain't getting back to Vinicius. And then So to me, that's a perfect example of not having quality in your debt. Because to me, Marcos Alonso, I know Xavi loves him and whatnot, but Marcos Alonso, as a left back, is to me horrible. Let alone playing him as a center back, which is not his, let's remind people, that's not his position. And I know he's left-footed, Xavi wants to play him there, he like play from the back, yada, yada, but when you have to defend... Marcos Alonso isn't good with like the, the the ins and outs of playing as a center back. And on top of that, physically, he's really slow. Like if I if I was harsh on Eric, then I gotta be harsh on Marcos Alonso as well. So that is a perfect example of someone that's playing that shouldn't have like if Christensen plays, you expect him to either get to the ball first than Rodrigo or to foul him or to at least track back faster than Marcos Alonso. Then I agree with you that like Kunde should have rotated a little bit more like towards Benzema's side, but then you still got freaking Vinicius running right at you. So maybe in that split second, he didn't want to leave Araujo with a Vinicius Junior running straight at you. And then I think it was a, a like a, a, in that situation. Then I think Araujo just got like his reaction was like, "Oh shit!" You know what? Benzema's open, and he just yeah. bursted towards Benzema, which maybe Araujo should have stayed there, even if I agree Kunde should have been closer to Benzema, but maybe Araujo was the one, Kunde was still the one closest to Benzema, not Araujo. Araujo just saw Benzema, bursted towards him, and then both of them are with Benzema, and Benzema obviously is a great player. Yeah, you're right, you're right. It's cold-blooded. If Arado and doesn't then, close down that space, maybe Benzema scores like a one. Exactly. Right. Sorry, so, 
but obviously this is all cost because of Marcos Alonso. Then the second goal. To me, this is one thing that that's bothered me with Busquets. This is we're talking about a thirty whatever four year thirty five year old Sergio Busquets who, when he was in his prime, he wasn't the fastest. Has never been. He had like that's not his forte. So to me, I've never understood this obsession of having Sergio Busquets be the farthest midfield player pushing up top because if they're able to get past him, he's not getting back. He doesn't have that physical ability. He didn't have it before. Maybe he was quicker when he was younger, so he was able to press better higher up. But now, if they get past him, which they did, he ain't getting back and bothering someone or helping the defense. So if they're getting past Busquets, he's out of the picture. That's it. Then you have Sergi Roberto, who to me, after that, two, those two years that he had those like what muscle quad injuries that required surgery, to me physically, he looks like an ex-player. I'm sorry, but he has that umtiti feel that physically he just doesn't seem like a player that belongs on a top team physically. Like to me, I know he had a yellow card and he couldn't bring Modric down, but I'm sorry. You gotta be quicker than Modric at 100 years old if you're Sergi Roberto. So at least you gotta be faster, quicker, and be able to get in front of him. So to me, him having a yellow is not an excuse because I'm expecting, or at least I should expect someone as Sergi Roberto to be quicker than Luka Modric at age 37. So to me, that also explains, again, Sergi Roberto should have no business playing for FC Barcelona, in my opinion. I'm, I'm going to be harsher than you, I know. In 2023, and to me, those, oh, well, but in these like games against these type of like teams and whatnot, to me, that's not a valley. I don't buy that because then when people get injured, if yeah. he's there, he's going to be an option for Xavi. And he, if he's still there, people get injured, sadly. So Xavi is going to see him as an option, and he's going to play. If he's not there, he doesn't – that doesn't – like Xavi won't have the option of putting him in. And sadly, physically, like the, the Sergi Roberto of 2017 that made those incredible forward runs and was amazing as that fourth midfielder just running around like crazy, helping everybody out – that Sergi Roberto physically isn't there anymore. And sadly, that's another perfect example of a player that played because so many starters were injured that should that shouldn't have no business playing against Real Madrid in an, in a do or die game, semifinal Copa del Rey. And then I then I, I don't I don't want to trash Kessie because to me, I know that error was horrible in the penalty, the foul that he committed. But Kessie, his first half, I would say it was the best I've seen of Kessie throughout the entire season. He was amazing in the first half. He was doing the, the Zidane roulette and everything. I was like, this isn't, this isn't Kessie. This is Casino. Like, he was amazing during the first half. And I've criticized, I've criticized Kessie before. So that's why I want to be fair and not have that, obviously, glaring error overshadow what I thought was a, an incredible first half of him. And then I'll end up with this, like, 
Rafinha and Lewandowski. This is exactly what I talked about with you the last time I was here. Yes, Rafinha in the Liga has been important. And we probably don't win the league without Rafinha because he's had specific points during a bunch of different games where, for the most part, he hasn't played well, but he's had either a pass that ends up, obviously, he, a pass that ends up in a goal, a.k.a. an assist, or he scored a goal. But if you analyze his entire performance for those 70, 80, 90 minutes, he hasn't been great. He doesn't go by anybody. Like, Araujo literally had more successful take-ons than Rafinha. So at the end of the day, it's what you said about Camavinga. When we don't have Dembele, let's be honest, Ferran doesn't go by anybody. Rafinha doesn't go by anybody. Ansu did before this season. Whether we get to see that Ansu back, we, that remains to be seen. So when the only winger that you have that is able to create chaos and go by people is injured, is injury prone as Dembele is, then sadly, Rafinha, it, it, it's it, it's hard to watch. And then I'll finish with Lewandowski. I do agree. Especially, like, I, I agree with the holdout play post-World Cup, I don't think Lewandowski's been great, but I do think that it's because Xavi, quote-unquote, sacrificed Lewandowski for Sergio Busquets because it was right with Super Cup that we started with this whole 4-4-2, four midfielders and whatnot to be able to accommodate a 35-year-old Sergio Busquets and protect him with Frankie de Jong, Gabi, Pedri, Kessi, and whatnot, whoever ends up playing. And that leaves Lewandowski with less service, a guy that is accustomed to playing with Thomas Muller behind him, with uh, Ribery, Robin, uh, uh, Navri, Sané, whoever, a, a bunch of incredible wingers that are able to get him the ball from every angle of the pitch. When you have a uh, an Alfonso Davies going forward, like Lewandowski is, has been accustomed to receiving service from everywhere, up top, down low, from the left, from the right, from the middle. And then now you go from having from having one less winger to be able to accommodate Sergio Busquets. So I think Lewandowski has been the sacrificial lamb in that aspect. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence why we see, quote-unquote, a drop-off in, in Lewandowski after we switch to this 4-4-2 for the majority of games of the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like in the second half, you also saw Barcelona play long a bit more. And again, that does work against Elche's. And I guess a little correction here that Ferran Torres can go by Cadiz. And I think that's pretty much it. But yeah, so Barcelona, they were, they were going more direct. Again, it works against those low blocks, but you can't do that against Real Madrid. Because again, Edwin Militao is one of the best center backs in the world. And if Lewandowski isn't winning those, those 1v1 duels, and then again, if, if Kamavinga is able to stand up Rafinha before he gets to within like 20 yards of Courtois' goal, like until those numbers come and they're able to set up possession in Madrid's final third of the field, which they were kind of unable to do, then you're going to wind up losing the ball in a position that has it coming downhill at you quite quickly. And so I, I think too, when we talk about personnel, Roberto isn't built to have that midfield. I mean, Busquets is the same way. Barcelona is not built to bypass the midfield. Lewandowski is not that player to bypass those build-up sequences. And as we mentioned, Kessie looked really good because in that first half, 
it did make sense. He was turning quickly on the ball. Those numerical overloads on the right side with Araujo, who I think has actually been much better in the second half of the season on the ball. I've actually been really happy. Even against Real Madrid, I've been happy with what Araujo has done on the ball. And I think he's in, in place of you know them kind of cutting down those center lanes for Koundé. He's, he's been stepping up pretty well to that position in those buildups, in those numerical overloads. I even saw a diagonal to Balde yesterday from Araujo, which is really nice to see. But if you're going to bypass Roberto and Busquets, that not to say it makes them redundant, but it does not help you when the ball is again won and those 50-50 balls are won by the opposition because you don't have the personnel that are prepared to win those second balls. Again, Roberto isn't going to win you second balls. Busquets at this point, I, I mean, I think Busquets, I mean, he's so superior at taking the ball off people. Like, again, for what Busquets is now, I just want to always recommend, I mean, recommend people look up the stats and understand that he is still an elite ball winner. Like on the ground, he can use those, what do you say, inspector gadget legs or whatever. And in a 1v1 challenge, Busquets wins so many of those still to this day. He is why, I mean, he is, again, why Xavi plays him so high when you're playing against a low block in a press because he does have an ability to take the ball back immediately. And he makes such quick, fast decisions. Nobody else in that Barcelona midfield makes the decisions as quickly as he does, as deep as he does with the range of passing that he does. That's why Eric Garcia against Elsie even were like, yeah, I mean, he looked like 70% like Busquets. So, you know, it's, that's great. That's great. Because Busquets still on the ball. It is phenomenal what he can do with the, the again, what I always say about the midfield. It's so essential that the speed of your decision-making, both offensively and defensively on the press, is elite. And so Nico Gonzalez, it worries me that his decision-making offensively is just not quick enough. It worries me at times, well, it did worry me last year, that it seemed like Gavi was just a step too slow to understand where he needed to be in possession, and he has certainly stepped up that this season, where only Barcelona fans who are watching 90 minutes of Gavi understand that, you know, I think the big narrative coming from that one was, oh, he can't keep his head, he, the kid has learned nothing. But no, the kid has actually improved this season in where he is on the field, how he positions his body, and just not even winning the 50-50 balls in those 1v1 duels, but understanding what happens next in those progressions and where he needs to be and how he can help help his teammates out. So that was really important, but it was really disappointing too in that game yesterday to talk about not even more of excuses. But I think it's frustrating that to watch Barcelona at home lose their head in the way they did. You know, the Sergio Roberto early yellow probably shouldn't happen. Xavi, of course, he gets the yellow. He earns the yellow probably because, again, the referee let that game get out of hand. And that's something different than Barcelona losing this game. Like, I, I think yesterday in the five headlines, the two big excuses I gave was the injuries that we talked about and then the fact that the ref kind of stunk. And the, the ref didn't stink, again, against Barcelona. I think the ref just stunk, and it winds up that the final stats are, quote-unquote, against Barcelona. Like, of those, tw- Barca definitely fouled Madrid more than vice versa because Barcelona, especially in that second half, were just chasing the game, and they were committing fouls, and it was a mess. So 21 fouls against Barca to eight against Madrid. That doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> to me, the number really should have been something like Barcelona 17 and Real Madrid like 13 or 14 because I think that referee did miss one or two on Militao that would have given Barcelona positioning in Madrid's half of the field. Like I do I do think two on Lewandowski should have been called and weren't. And, you know, I, I think does Militao deserve a yellow? Maybe. But at that point, when you're already handing out yellow cards to Militao or whoever it may be, Martinez Munera had already lost the game. Like my frustration with him was not even again the yellow that he gives to Gabi in that the dust up with Vinny Jr. Because Vinny Jr. deserved a yellow or two in that game, right? He's going to instigate. And because Barcelona, I think if Barcelona are winning that game, believe it or not, like three nothing, Vinny Jr. does get that second yellow and gets sent off. But because Real Madrid were winning 
And it's not like in favor of Madrid. It's that the team in the position of power is going to get a longer leash. And I was frustrated that Monera allowed both Barcelona and Real Madrid to take too much of each other in that game. He didn't get control of El Clasico as early as you need to. And I think he did a poor job. And that has been consistent. Again, it's not that I'm saying all the referees are against Barcelona. No, I'm saying the Spanish referees have been way behind it this year and have been disappointing. It's one thing for me to say Mateo Lajoz hands out too many cards. It's one thing. But I think over the course of all those time with Mateo Lajoz, there were probably two or three matches where I said, gosh, he had a bad match. Like, really just bad. The rest of it was him just being Mateo Lajoz, which is what you expect from him. But I think Monero, regardless of what you expect from him, he did a bad job in that game. So not to say that's an excuse, but he did not allow that game to be kept under wraps. And so Barcelona just completely lost their heads. But that's on them too. Like as much as the excuse can be made for them, I also, again, want to make it fully clear and understandable that like Gabi's got to stay under control. Arahu even admitted after the game, for the first time ever, he let Vinny Jr. get the better of him. He said he, he insulted my teammates in ways that got under my skin and it took me out of my game. And that can't happen. And Araujo knows that. Maybe that's why he's one of the future captains of this team. But I also look to then, if we talk about Messi coming back and kicking Rafinha to the curb, because then why are we going to talk about Rafinha? Then they have to figure out Busquets. Roberto's already renewed. Again, Busquets is likely going to renew. That captaincy, that leadership hierarchy on the field, just too many times in these big games, does this team lose their head? Gabi might be a future leader, but, I mean, and Busquets, you could see, actually, when Gabi and Vinny got into it, Busquets was the first guy over to kind of grab Gabi and try to con- calm down or control him. But whatever Busquets said to Gabi, it didn't work. It did not break through. And I thankfully, he didn't get a second yellow, so maybe it did break through. But I just felt like that team lost their head. When they went down 2 nothing. it was over. They got punched in the mouth and cannot step back up from it. And I don't know what that means. I, does it mean systemic change with your captaincy, with Busquets, with Alberto, or... More importantly, I mean, and more difficultly, because I think this is the last segment we're getting into about what's next, because the, the easy out, if you will, would be to say, hey, Busquets, Roberto, even if you guys are new, we are going to name a few new captains. It is time for a new era, and you guys are allowed to be on the bench and kind of stick around and be part of our thing. But we need somebody to make sure that does not happen. That we do not lose our head in Europe and in big matches again. I'm tired of that. Kool-Aid's are tired of that. And it doesn't happen in the Liga because those players like Roberto, like Alonso, like Rafinha, they all know that they're good enough for the Liga. But it seems like they don't believe they're good enough for those better or bigger competitions. And you could feel it. You could see it in their body language. Like they know that this team and they, as members of this team, are not up to the standard. There's just too many of them who, yeah, who will in that way against top level competition. And I'm a broken, it's a broken record over the last few seasons about that. But that then means that in the offseason, the more difficult thing, if you're not going to change the captains, you're going to renew all those players, is then you got to find a way then to sell Rafinha if he's not up to snuff. you got to say, hey, Alonzo, I know we did the renewal, but we also are still going to shop you. And if someone does give us $5 million, then we're just going to bring in Chadi Riyad from Barcelona Athletic because you aren't good enough and make those difficult decisions. Because free agents are not going to be available like they were last season, potentially for Barcelona. And we do not know the economic concerns, but it's at a point where the club is pretty much unabashedly saying, I know Kool-Aid think we need a right back, but the, the club is not going to sign a right back. They pretty much come out and said that we're probably not going to sign a right back. We're just going to get Inigo Martinez, a left center back on a free. And that means Alonso is probably going to be trusted. And the salary of Jordi Alba is so damaging that we got to figure that out. You can either stick around and take pennies or we're going to kick him to the curb. But that it just seems like all the transfer stuff is not going to solve problems because Barcelona are still one year away from solving those problems. 
So then again, you look at Busquets, you look at Roberto, you look at leadership and say, how else can we solve those problems? Because those are the big what's next referendum questions that big matches like these mean. If he, if they were, this is a Premier League, this is a Premier League game, and you lose to your rival like that, Manchester United, Liverpool, whatever, Xavi's getting sacked. I, you know, I mean, you and I agree. Don't shack, don't, we're not sacking Xavi tomorrow, but I'm saying like they are in the Premier League, there are different consequences to this kind of match, losing at home, historically losing at home. You know, I said in the five headlines, Rafa, and then I'll be done with this little rant. Ferenc Puskas and Alfredo De Stefano, when you say those names to me, connected to the camp, no, I just, I'm done. <laughs> I know something awful has happened. It just, those are the kind of names of nightmares at the camp, no, where I go, oh no, what went wrong? Because we're talking about those kind of guys. And we mentioned those guys. And once you mention those names, that means that your team has performed in such a way at home that maybe some change needs to happen. And so my question for you is, yeah, what change? What does this kind of match mean for Barcelona moving forward change-wise? Because this team is good enough to win the Liga, and we'll, that's the last thing we'll do. But they're good enough to win the Liga, but the minute the competition goes up, it's it's just the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. Dan, and over but this is why I'm tired of ha- I think I us, like as Barcelona fans, have had this conversation after horrible defeats in the last few years, which have been too many. And it's like, oh, we're just repeating, like talking. It, it's always the same thing because it's fool's gold. We get fooled by Busquets, Sergi Roberto, and plays like that, playing, quote unquote, good enough in the league, in the Copa del Rey against other teams and whatnot. But it's the same thing when we face top tier competition, whether it's Bayern, Madrid, uh, Inter Milan, like. Whoever it is, like PSG, physically, these players, and I'm naming them like the Eric Garcia last year, Sergi Roberto, Busquets, and whatnot, Marcos Alonso. Like, it's no coincidence Marcos Alonso had to play. Oh, well, he didn't have to play. Xavi chose him at the Camp Nou against Manchester United. It's the same freaking thing every single time. When competition rises, when the team, like, pushes the tempo up, up, bunch of notches, and those players get exposed. But then we go back to playing in the league, playing like against lesser competition for the most part, and people just seem to have like a dory brain and forget things. And things don't get, like the hard decision doesn't get done. Like, for example, Busquets, if he's going to renew, he better renew for pennies. Like, if you really love Barcelona, if you want to stay because Messi's coming back, whether that, that happens or not, then you got to renew for pennies. And I don't mind Busquets staying, but my problem is if Xavi has the personality to just play Busquets, that, that's my problem. Like, I wouldn't mind Busquets staying, but my fear is what happens more often than not. If Busquets is there, it's like, like putting a dangling a dead chicken in front of a crocodile, hoping that the crocodile isn't going to bite it. Like, if Busquets is there, Xavi's going to play him. Like, I just don't see Xavi not choosing Busquets, especially given all the circumstances. Whether, like, I have, like, this, I'm throwing it out there. Like, I don't know if, like, Conte is a realistic option. Obviously, he's a free agent. But I don't know. I'm just, like, throwing it out there. Um, he's, also for ex- he's also 32. I mean, he, he, yeah, but physically, obviously, I, uh, 
injuries aside, I know he's coming back from a major injury, but if he's fit physically, he is a physical specimen more than Busquets is for these type of big big games. That's, this is what I'm talking about. And I don't care what the club says. Like Fabricio Romano today, like brought up Frimpong again and Javier, uh, Javi Miguel from us, who I think he's like either has like Xavi's cell phone or his brothers and whatnot. But he talked about, he said like after the Clásico, apparently Xavi realized that they need a right, like we need a right back. So I know this is, it's going to be a long summer and whatnot, but we need a right back because at the end of the day, we are sacrificing whether it's Kunde or Araujo instead of having them in the middle. And we need a, we need a freaking right back. That's what like we need it. And then on, on like on top of that, if we, the, whether it's Messi or Gundogan, we need magic in the middle because when Pedri's not there, we've seen the we've we've seen it this season, we saw it last season, when Pedri is out, and sadly he's been out for the more important part of both this and the la and last season, and with Kuban as well when he ran him to the ground, when Pedri is not there. We don't have any quality, any magic in the midfield. It, it, it It's the ugly truth. So whether that's Gundogan, whether that's Messi, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't have any answer. But we need magic in the middle. And up top, it's the same thing. It's the same problem that we have without Pedri in the middle. Up top, if we don't have Dembele, we don't have anyone capable of going by anybody. I know that's more difficult. I don't know. Like, even bringing back Abde, Abde is at least a way, he may have a lot of faults and whatnot, but he's able to go by people. He's able to create stuff. Whether his end product isn't great and whatnot, but he doesn't, like, okay. he's. Well, I will say, unfortunately, the, the numbers bear fruit, and I watch it myself. The final product isn't great is maybe a compliment. <laughs> Exactly. Unfortunately, like, I, he's just not I ready. know that, but then at the end of like sometimes with Dembele, like let's be honest, I he ends up having a lot of assists. But if we are going to be strict about that, Dembele should have way more assists than what he has due to how he's able to go by people. Like Dembele's end product isn't great either. So what what like what I'm trying to get at for the most part is sadly we have the same problem up top. We don't have any magic when Dembele is not on the pitch. So I don't think Carrasco is the option whatsoever. I don't know what we might be able to do up top. I have no idea what's the, like where it's April 6th. I don't know. But I don't get paid millions of euros to make to, to find out. a solution. That's Jordi Cruyff and Mateo in La Porta. But we do need, and I, I'm, I'm going to end with what I said at the start. I'm not glad we got bounced by Madrid. I'm not glad we got trashed by Madrid at the camp, no. But, again, looking at the glass half full, I'm hoping, I don't know if, if, it'll, if it'll happen, but I'm hoping that this was a slap in the face of Jordi, Mateo, and Laporta and company so that they realize that, We are like if the intention, which I think it is, is able to compete for absolutely everything and get back to the to the top tier of Europe and the Champions League. We do have ways to go and we do have to strengthen our depth with quality players 
so that when the starters aren't there, the drop of quality isn't as steep as it as it actually is. So now maybe the, obviously we're gonna win the league. It's great. We won the Super Cup and whatnot. But now there's gonna be a, a more of a sense of urgency and like, hey, we can't rest on just winning the league because maybe a Rafinha, like that's the the the, the, the example that I want to end on. If you look at the numbers, strictly numbers, you would think, why would we sell Rafinha? Like, we would be crazy. Like, we we don't win the league without him. But if we're going to be cutthroat and aspire to, like, get to the next step, we got to take, like, we got to dissect Rafinha's numbers a little bit more and be like, maybe, like, we might be fine with him like in the league, but... Are we if Dembélé's back? If we 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 extend his contract and whatnot? If Dembélé's fit, Rafinha ain't playing. So do do we want to sell high now? Because right now this summer we could sell high if we just go by. Hey, look at the numbers, Rafinha. He's still 26, Brazilian. So however many goals assists he he did, we don't win the league without him. If we don't sell him now, we then run the risk of him like pouting like we know his like his his attitude isn't the best so Dembele comes back he doesn't play as much his numbers drop for the second season and then what what are we getting in the market so yeah. that's what I want to get at that La Borda and company need to be cold-blooded yeah in this transfer window well, during the summer so, so that actually is an interesting point because of the hard work they have done the exception of Frankie de Young and Jordi Alba the salary structure that they have now built are salaries that you can move in theory, that the release clauses are still too much and the players can choose to stay at Barcelona. But those choices make a lot less sense because of the number that they're at. So like Rafinha, who makes, I think, around 12 and a half million, if he moves back to the Premier League, he'll likely be making 15 or 14, 15 around there. Like 12 and a half is still like pretty decently high wages. And I think, again, they took that because of the the because of the transfer and how much that transfer number was from Leeds to kind of entice him away from the Premier League. So I guess, I mean, yeah, it'd be 12 and a half to 14. But if Barca are basically saying, hey, you know, we aren't going to use you as much. Do you want to go play somewhere else? So they take that transfer number, try to recoup as much as they possibly can. And again, basically say that, hey, your other team will give you 13. So you're making half a million more or something, right? Or even 13 and a half be back to being the guy or let's say Newcastle, you know, looking for players to fill out their Champions League roster next year, right? And we know Newcastle are, I mean, they've got <laughs> billions to burn, right? So Rafinha would make sense for a similar number that Barcelona bought him for with a little bit of inflation, again, at a wage number that is reasonable. So you'd hope that being able to resell a Rafinha quite quickly is now possible because it's not 34, whatever the heck, album, or 21 for Alba right now, or or 37, again, 37 and a half or whatever it is, plus six for De Young, which again makes De Young practically immovable if De Young himself doesn't want to go. And of course, the players don't want to go, sure. But again, financially, they might be enticed based on the new wage limit that the board was able to set. So that's a compliment to them. The other thing I'll say, and this is my silver lining, I was kind of saving it to the end because I didn't want to start with this and make it feel like that was my whole feeling. I was frustrated about the collapse. I think if Barcelona lose that match yesterday, two nothing. I think it's a totally different reaction for me. I think we still have a conversation about how come Barcelona wilts or how come they're not up to the challenge against 
higher level competitions. Like why doesn't it feel like they, they can close? But then I look at the other all classicals this season, including the Spanish Super Cup, including the Liga. And I say, no, when push comes to shove, it was actually Barcelona who did thrash Real Madrid. And Real Madrid did get the better of them in one of those all classicals this season, because the first one now in the year that, Bar- that Real Madrid won, is irrelevant because Barcelona run away at the league. So it's like they, they got them in the final El Clasico, if you will, and it will matter, especially if they win the Copa del Rey. So Real Madrid, if they don't win the Champions League, will get their trophy this season, which is kind of expected. Like you should expect that Real Madrid are probably going to win a trophy off Barcelona this season. So, you know, there is a world that you do give Real Madrid a little bit of credit in the domestic competitions and say, hey, Barcelona have got the domestic double in the Spanish Super Cup in the Liga, and that's pretty good. Because I am kind of frustrated at the hyperbolic response about La Liga. Because by saying that this match proves who Barcelona really are and that the expected goals in La Liga make Barcelona completely fraudulent, because expected goals say that the record-setting, I mean, honestly, the record-setting nine goals that they've given up in La Liga, which is going to make history. So are we, who we I mean, living in this day in 2023, are we always going to put an asterisk next to it uh, you know, are, are not even we, but are people outside of the Barcelona bubble, Real Madrid fans, going to forever say, well, that season, actually, their XG was way, way higher. But, you know, so that nine goals, you can't believe that, you know, because they were frauds the whole time, as we proved in the Copa del Rey in the second leg there. But also forget the other Clasicos that helped them win the Liga. So, again, I'm stuck between these two minds. It's like Barcelona can be the team that is winning the Liga. And I do not in any way want to use this match to dilute the accomplishment of consistency in La Liga. Like Spain and competition in Spain is down a little bit this year. We've talked about that a plenty. The same argument is made in Germany and Bayern Munich fans and even other German fans don't seem to care <laughs> that things are diluted in Germany. Same thing when it's been the case in Italy. Same thing is obviously the case in France. And again, nobody seems to care. It's just in in conversation with the Premier League who dominate all world football competitions at this point that don't involve Messi and Mbappe and Neymar, honestly, like, and maybe Bayern Munich speaks up a little bit sometimes, but those conversations are dominated so much by the Premier League. I do not want this narrative of this game to dilute just how important it was, not only important for Barcelona to win their first Liga title in three years. Now they still have to take care of business. Because again, if they collapse, I might take a hiatus on the podcast for a while, just so everyone knows the programming note. <laughs> like if that happens, but wait, wait, wait. Okay. Don't even say it, please. Yeah, yeah, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So, but I do not want to make, I do not have this result dilute the league of title. But again, what I get frustrated by in this match is not goals one and two. I'm frustrated how they happen, but how, that the fact that goals three and four happened at all. The fact that Barcelona lost three nothing instead of three one is frustrating. The, la- the fact that they lost four nothing is embarrassing and humiliating. And being humiliated at your home is something that I find to be frustrating no matter the competition, no matter the comp- uh, no matter who you're playing against. When I say competition, I mean like both the, the match that you're playing in or the, the what, you know what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> tournament or competition <laughs> or whatever, as opposed to the team that you're also playing against. So again, I don't want to dilute the Liga title at all because Barcelona can be both of those teams. They can be the team that is deep enough and good enough to have earned the Liga title. You know, this Madrid side, if they were so gosh darn good, and Barcelona are the real frauds this whole time, then why are Real Madrid 12 points behind? Like, you you need to be able to hold both of those ideas in your head. Except unless you say Champions League, then um, I plead the fifth, and I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of it if you say Champions League. But again, that was a long time ago. Injuries, we've talked about it. But Rafa, I think we've done everything we possibly can here. I, ended, I want to end with a positive note that it's like, if they win the Liga in the Spanish Super Cup, Xavi is right, though. That, believe it or not, 
with the financial worry that they're in because I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of watching the, the international broadcast. And they go, we know that behind the scenes, Barcelona are in complete shambles, right? And I know that. They just see oh in the case and UEFA. They see the spokesman and they see what what Tebas says and that and that is definitely law and that's certainly what ha- what's what's the truth. And so these international broadcasters just say you know Barcelona is a complete shambles. They're going to be dissolved in the off season because of X Y Z reasons. When in fact what we've been talking about with the debt with the wage bill, Barcelona is still on the way up. And if winning the Liga and winning the Spanish Super Cup was the next phase in this project, this match does nothing for the positivity of the project, but a reminder too that winning La Liga is really what this season was about, and I can forget about this match because La Liga and the Spanish Super Cup will be one. And you get two trophies, and you build from there in an offseason that should not be as bad, you'd think, financially, as what has been even the last two seasons now. They're not going to sign Lewandowski and Koundé. It's not going to be some big thing. There are no more, you know, they're not going to be selling off parts of Oh, I didn't want to say it. I'm doing everything I can to say levers, but yes, to sell the levers for that extra revenue and Barcelona will lose revenue by playing in the smaller stadium next year. We've been talking about all those different things. And those are challenges that Barcelona has to face. This idea that they're in financial turmoil is again, not necessarily true. And this project can certainly be built as long as they look at this match and say, what do we need to fix? What do we need to improve upon? You know, and so Rafa, yeah, final word from you. We're trying to get this out in under an hour. So what do you think? No, I completely agree. That's the whole thing. I, uh, in hindsight, it's 2020, but it all depends on what, again, if we win the league, obviously we already won the, the Spanish Super Cup. And we don't know, like, if Osasuna managed to pull the upset, then we're, on top of that, we'll be looking at this, like, they didn't even end up winning the, the Copa del Rey. And obviously that the Champions League remains to be seen. But I, I completely agree with you. The Given our situation like if you would have told me and i think henry coulet before the start of the season hey do you sign this winning the league and the spanish super cup everybody would have would have said yes like literally every great manager (laughs) says the league is the title to win because like you said it's it shows who was the most consistent throughout the entire season and we've been that team obviously the, the league hasn't been won yet but we're on a great path to win it. And this, I'm not going to repeat myself, but this is, was, this is a reminder that we need to, it's not all glitz, like it's not all red and roses. We, if we want to compete for everything and everything, we do have to strengthen the, the team. And hopefully that's what the Laporta and company are able to do this summer within all the restrictions and uh, salaries and whatnot, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, I'm not going to get into that. Yep. All right. <laughs> so we'll definitely be getting into it. And uh, again, there's still a league to win and a league to celebrate. And so, yeah, I just hope, I mean, if you're still listening to this point in this kind of podcast, you're going to be here for the rest of the Liga and the rest of all that. And no, you're not going anywhere. So it's good to know that the Kool-Aids are still with us. But thanks so much for listening to the show. As always, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.